Welcome back to Crazy Faith Talk. I'm Steve. I'm Sarah. And I'm Erica. So friends, we are in the middle of Advent. Happy Advent. We are now getting ready for, or just had, the third Sunday of Advent. And in this Advent series, we've been taking a closer look at those four buzzwords, if you will, that have been assigned to candles in our Advent wreath. So we've already taken a look at hope and how we are hopeful for Christ's return. We've taken a look at peace and what it means to live into that peace. And where are we going this week? So this week we are talking about the oldest candle, at least traditionally speaking, the pink candle in the Advent wreath, the candle of joy, and what it means to be joyful in this season, um, which makes sense with songs like Joy to the World. Fun fact, that's my least favorite hymn. (laughs) (laughs) For someone who likes Revelation 21 so much, I would not have guessed that, but fair enough. It's selfishly, it's because it's out of my voice range. Oh, all right. Well, that's fair. (laughs) And you have to, and you're supposed to like, it's a hymn begging to be sung forte, like super loud. Yeah. uh And Mm -hmm. it strains my voice. And so by the end of it, my throat always hurts. So therefore I associate joy to the world with pain. Okay. Well, there you go. It, it may well be a harbinger of the rest of this conversation that we talk about how joy is sometimes mingled with pain or with grief or bittersweetness, but we'll get there. All right. This is maybe a thing, a thing to, to I, I'd like to iron this out with other religious professionals. We make a hard sell every year when we observe Advent to our people of, well, it's not Christmas yet, it's Advent. It's not Christmas. Mm-hmm. You got to wait. You got to wait. It's not, we're not there yet. We're not there yet. We're not there yet. And we the first couple of weeks are very forward looking. It's, you know, when Jesus comes back and here's what the prophets are envisioning for one day and all that. And hope is great at looking forward. Peace is we're not there yet. One day there will be peace. But this time it's out in the middle of Advent to do joy when we're not supposed to be there yet. Like it, it gums up the works. Like, which is the message? Is it we have to wait or now we're allowed to rejoice? Like what, what what's going on? Yes. <laughs> Already, but not yet. Aha. Say more about that. Like that is one of my favorite Lutheran mm-hmm. phrases. Okay. Um, that, well, okay. Other traditions can also use it, but I've heard it the most it too. from Lutherans, uh, which is because I'm Lutheran and that's where <laughs> I am most of the time. Hmm. So it's the already, but not yet. Like, uh, for example, Christ saved us when Christ died for our sins 2000 plus years ago on the cross. That's when Jesus saved us. But that salvation isn't fully realized until God comes down and makes God's home among God's people. And there's no such thing as pain and death and blah, blah, blah. Revelation 21. So it is our salvation is already, but not yet. So you're saying this complex idea of already but not yet we practice in the season of advent at halftime at the third week by still saying we're not there yet really but we also rejoice yeah and i okay so joy to the world i don't particularly like it because i don't like singing it but it's this really awesome hymn that is somehow both an advent hymn and a christmas hymn 
So Advent 3 is this really great opportunity to sing joy to the world. And it kind of makes the people who want to sing Christmas hymns all December (laughs) happy while also making the people who want to have that clear separation of like, no, we need to sing Advent hymns Mm -hmm. happy. So everybody's happy except for Sarah when we (laughs) sing joy to the world on Advent 3. You know, it, it's funny the because "Joy to the World" is written as a paraphrase of uh, Psalm ninety six. Is that right? Ninety eight. Um, like it's a psalm. Yeah. It's it's mm-hmm. a it's a paraphrase of the psalm. And how much of the language of that psalm is like that new creation language about you know the the rocks and the hills and the trees and the original psalm? You know, is all about the trees clapping their hands and the rivers rejoicing. Sometimes again, I think because of the familiarity and the use at Christmas time, we miss out like it's new creation talk. It's about all of creation being made new and being gathered up in this joy about God's reign and the beginning of God's uh, fully realized kingdom or something like that. So, I mean, like that, that it really is so loudly adventy. Um, and it's very much the themes we've been looking at already. Yeah. The lyrics are beautiful. It just needs to be a couple of lo- notes lower. <laughs> So let me ask this question to you religious professionals who probably have to live this tension out yourselves as well as preaching on it. Um, In a culture that, to the extent it talks about joy at all, tends to use it just as a synonym for happiness. Mm -hmm. How do you talk about the difference or the distinction between joy and happiness? And what does it mean to focus on this, practice it, do it like, hope or peace are things you can maybe strive for even if you're not feeling great is joy just a commandment to feel a certain way how do you think about that how do you talk about it for me the distinction is circumstantial okay happiness is based off your circumstances okay good thing happens i'm happy Mm -hmm. being joyful i can find joy even in heartache Okay. Um, so yes, I can be joyful when good things happen and should be joyful when good things happen. But even in a time of grief, I can find joy because the person I'm grieving, you know, or the thing I'm grieving, like if it's a person in particular, they're in heaven, they're in a better place, their suffering has ended. And so while I am sad that they are gone and maybe angry because they are gone or because they were sick you know, for a while or whatever, I can still be joyful because of where they are at now. That's how I always distinguish it. So let me ask then, we talked before kind of about like when we we were talking about hope that maybe there's a difference between hope and optimism that's kind of similar, that optimism has a lot Mm -hmm. to do with external circumstances, having having a bright side to look on and hope is something you can practice even in the, in the difficult times, um, what does it look like to like be intentional to like lean into joy as opposed to just like, you sort of stumble upon happiness. The good thing happens and your brain chemistry Mm -hmm. says you're happy, but what does it look like to be intentional about joy? And how is that different than just trying to tell yourself to feel a certain way? So I'm not convinced that we can dictate what our emotions are. Okay, I'm, I'm with you. Like, um, I, I struggle with the com- like what often feels like a command to choose joy. Like mm-hmm. I've had a bishop that that was 
a phrase he loved. Mm -hmm. Um, And I'm not sure that we can always choose joy as an emotion. Okay. And, but I think that we could practice joy. Okay. And I'm going to make that distinction because I think that those are like, it can become a practice. Like gratitude is a practice. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And gratitude is also an emotion. Like you feel grateful. Um, And again, that's a feeling emotion, but you can Mm -hmm. also practice gratitude. Yeah. You can practice joy. You can practice patience. Um, These are all things you can practice in your life. Mm -hmm. But as an emotion, I'm not sure you can choose it. Um, You know, it's kind of like telling a depressed person, oh, just be happy. You know, no, a depressed person can't just be happy. Right. You can't just choose joy as an emotion but you can practice it so say more about that and uh because i'm 100 percent with you about that telling yourself to feel a certain way is not a a meaningful command but um to practice something even if your emotions aren't there yet what what does that look like how 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 does one practice joy well the way i practice it so uh all right context my context is i am a pastor who is the spouse of a pastor and we have two very small children who are at the age where they can now intentionally push buttons their parents is buttons and so often for me at this stage in my life is to recognize what my triggers are when they are pushing my buttons and trying to like and I'm feeling myself get angry and frustrated And being able to take a quick breath and go, okay, I'm getting, feeling this very valid emotion. Like it is very valid to get angry at a five-year-old for not listening when Mm -hmm. you know he is fully capable of listening. Um, To recognize that emotion that I am feeling, but then to take a step back and to think, okay, well, how can I change the situation um, before it escalates? And so that is practicing patience, but it's also then trying to reorient my brain and myself and my emotions to then go, okay, well, how can I make whatever I'm doing more joyful, more playful, more um, fun? Uh, and how can I bring fun and joy and whatever into this situation? Um, and it, sometimes that means everybody needs a timeout, including me. (laughs) Sometimes it's just me that needs a timeout. Mm -hmm. Um, But to give myself that breathing space to be able to look at my emotions and why am I feeling this Mm -hmm. and how can I change this situation so that I am not feeling it? Um, Sometimes it means, again, just acknowledging my emotions of like, I'm sad today. Mm -hmm. And I think that that is, and again, maybe this is more a confusion of like how, because practices and emotions and are so intertwined, but it's, I'm feeling sad. How can I not feel sad? How can I do something that usually brings me joy? And will this help bring me out of my sadness? I don't know. Maybe I'm intermixing these things more than I would like, but that's my current practice. Okay. Okay. Erica, how do you uh, think about joy as a practice that may be overlapping but distinct from the emotion of joy or happiness? I 
I guess I kind of compare it to um, that verse from one of Paul's letters. I can't remember which one it is now, um, where it says to be thankful in all circumstances. Mm-hmm. Um, and I always make a, a very strong distinction that's not thankful for all circumstances. Okay. But to be thankful in them. So again, it goes to that idea of like, I can be dealing with great heartache, um, but still find something that can bring me joy in the midst of that. Okay. It might not be, like I gave the example earlier of grief and being happy, you know, being joyful that a person who has died is now with Jesus and with relatives who have gone before and that. But maybe it's just, you know, it's a different type of circumstance in, in which it's depressing and sad and, and disappointing or, or causing anger. But I look outside my my window and I see a beautiful sunset or a sunrise. And so like, okay, I'm angry about this circumstance, but seeing that helps to bring some some of that joy back into my life, even if it's momentarily. You know, there there is ways to find joy even when everything around me is not joyful. I wonder if there's a parallel then to the conversation we had way, 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 way back in uh, November when we were talking about gratitude and Thanksgiving Mm -hmm. and about the practice of noticing things to be thankful for and whether that takes the form of posts on social media of here's the thing I'm thankful for today or stopping and noticing something beautiful. But like, that's something we talked about that you can practice by looking, by like taking the Mm -hmm. time to intentionally look for things or notice things for which to be grateful. And sort of along your lines earlier, Sarah, we talked about that gratitude can be both an emotion and something you practice that I wonder if there's something in that similar vein that like the, the better you get at noticing things to be joyful, the the better you get at stopping and looking and noticing, then the easier it gets in some ways, you you get better at it. You become able more um, because you're practicing it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think for sure. Like, you know, the same of like taking that breath when I see myself getting frustrated or angry. It's that same of taking that breath when I feel joy to recognize that I'm feeling joy right this moment. Um, or even, you know, uh, my sons are feeling joy in this moment because I am doing something with them. Mm -hmm. And that in turn brings me some joy, you know, until like we've done that same thing for 50 million times (laughs) in a row, in which case uh, it's no longer bringing me joy, but it sure is bringing the (laughs) three-year-old joy for some reason. I wonder too, because we've been talking about joy as an emotion, as a practice, Mm -hmm. but connecting it back to Advent. How do we find joy in the season of Advent? Well, and I think that's, um, you know, we opened up the episode saying this is one of the oldest themes in the season. Um, You know, the pink candle has been around. And I think there's even a, a pink Sunday, like in Lent. And these are both penitential seasons. Um. But being reminded that even in the midst of being penitential of what is coming at the end of the season, you know, as as we in Advent, we are waiting for the birth of of Christ, for the second coming of Christ. Um, And so that that's a joyful experience. At least it should be a joyful experience. 
And the same thing happens in Lent. Um, you know, while we're penitential, we're sad, and we have to walk through Good Friday, we have resurrection. We have Easter Sunday. Um, and and so I think that's part of the way we can practice joy in this season. But so often when it comes to the holidays, everybody feels like you have to be joyful all the time. It's it is certainly interesting because uh, you had just mentioned Advent similar to Lent is penitential. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's something that we haven't talked about at all in this series. Um, I don't think we have either. This year. And it's and it's kind of we moved away from it as a church or a lot of churches mm-hmm. have, right? Like it used to be like, oh, yes, that's what Advent is. If you do liturgical colors, that's why you did purple to kind of remind you that this is like Lent. You're supposed to be self-reflective yeah. and potential and um, yada, yada, yada. But now it's blue. And the secular nature of Christmas has kind of encroached upon Advent. So like Christmas is all of December now, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so it is such a joyful season. Um, so maybe that's why advent three the pink candle being joy feels odd to me is because secular christmas tries to make Uh joy all month long and um i've never done a blue christmas service myself like i've never let it um and i'm not sure that at this point in my life i would be the best person to lead a blue christmas because like Blue Christmas, for those of you who haven't ever experienced one, is a worship service that acknowledges that Christmas isn't joyful for everyone 100% mm-hmm. of the time, that there's a lot of people who feel grief in this season because of people who have died and are no longer there around their Christmas table or around the Christmas tree or um, whatever. Uh, and, and it's usually, I think, usually around this time of year, isn't it? Around mm-hmm. Advent 3 that most people do blue Christmases? Advent 3, sometimes, like, one of my churches has done a longest night. So, like, December 21st, yeah. 22nd, somewhere in that range. But, yeah, it's about this time, usually. Yeah. Kind of, again, it, offsets that joy isn't something that we always feel, One like, that joy happiness isn't always mm-hmm. 100% what we feel all the time. And I think having done Blue Christmas services, um, not that the point is to make people feel joy. It, it is to recognize that there there are people that are de- dealing with sadness because of the loss of a loved one, the loss of a job, something, you know, something has made the Christmas season not secularly joyful. Mm-hmm. But to remind folks that there can still be a sacred joy to the christmas season even if we can't find that secular joy that you know all the christmas songs that have been playing since the day after thanks you know since all the day after halloween in some cases (laughs) you know talk about um it's a chance to acknowledge that yeah life is hard but we can find or at least try to practice that joy um, in the midst of the hardships of life. Mm -hmm. I wonder if that's uh, a piece of how um, the scriptures, when they talk about joy, um, what what they have in mind is that there, there there's, it's never just 
joy for the sake of make up a reason or joy, just pretend that there's something mm-hmm. to be happy about, but that within the, the context of the scriptures, there's always this, God is at work for good in the world in some way, in whatever moment of the great salvation story you're in, but especially for the Christian community, there's this sense of no matter what else, God is so committed to creation that God has entered into our lives in the humanity of Jesus. God is willing to go all the mm-hmm. way to a cross. God refuses to let death be the last word. God insists on new creation that even if everything else feels like it's falling apart, God is on our side and that like there's at least that grounding for hope so that it's not just like a hope for the sake of hopefulness or uh, like um, for Lan Maria sings in the sound of music. I have confidence and confidence alone. It's not just I, I want to be happy. So I'll make up. But like there's always this assurance that God's part of the picture and that no matter what else, God, God is unfailingly for us. And because God's unfailingly for us, that is something, regardless of life circumstances, that we can be joyful about. Yeah. And I, I guess like that, that, I think that's the way of, of hearing it. So does it that, to, to your point earlier about the difference between giving thanks in all circumstances versus for all circumstances, that like, yeah, we don't have to pretend that the rotten thing that happened is somehow happy, but to say, if you zoom out even bigger... But God is there and God is committed to being for us, which includes for me. Um, and it's that uh, that assurance that God's commitment is is for us uh, that mm-hmm. gives us reason for joy. There's a, a line of William Willimans, I think, about in this season. Um, he said uh, the, the, the punchline of it is that God refuses to be God without us. Um, yeah. And then in some sense, like that's what the, the incarnation is about at Christmas. That's certainly what the cross and resurrection are about. But if that's something you can take to the bank, if that's something you can be sure about that God refuses to be God without us, then yeah, no matter what rotten things happen on an ordinary day in the week, there's this assurance before the story is done, God promises to be with us and, and to set all things right. Yeah. Since you just quoted, uh, well, well, on, who's a Methodist, Come, quote a Lutheran, <laughs> quote a Lutheran. <laughs> no. No. I'm going to quote another Methodist. Well, no, all right. I'll maybe rejoice pre- anyway. Maybe pre-Methodist. No, I, I can't think of any Lutheran quotes off the top of my head. Um, and it's going to be a paraphrase because George Whitfield once told John Wesley um, when he was struggling with his faith to preach faith until you had it and once you had it, preach faith. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I, I think when it comes to joy, sometimes we have to practice joy until we have it. And then once we have it, we continue to practice joy. Mm-hmm. I think I think it, the the whole notion of seeing each of these things as virtues, not just as emotions, is really helpful mm-hmm. in my own theology and spirituality as well. That as we've talked about throughout this episode, each of these themes are things that have an emotional side to them. But to treat them as virtues is that means they are something that you can practice and you in some sense, get better at the virtue the more you practice it. Um, and it also acknowledges there can be days when you really stumble through it and you're not doing great, but tomorrow is the possibility of trying and Mm -hmm. and getting better at being joyful, grateful, thankful kind of people. I guess one other piece that maybe would be a helpful thing to say out loud about the practice of joy um, that does seem like it's something that you can practice, even if you're not feeling like it, is the ability to find joy in seeking joy for other people. That like, yeah. and again, like not to get all schmaltzy and sentimental about Christmas time, but like if there's one thing that the secular world has at least a half decent grasp of, it's that like in this season, the notion of giving gifts for other people, 
uh, isn't just a, a social transaction so that you'll get something in return, but this awareness that like you can find joy in giving something to somebody else um, and the anticipation of, oh, they're going to love this or man, the, the, the time you spend in mm-hmm. picking it or making it or whatever, there's an anticipatory joy that they haven't even opened it yet, but you can tell already this is all oh, they're going to love. This is just what they want. They could use this, that kind of thing. Um, and the awareness that joy is something that in a way can come back to us exactly in the process of seeking it for other people. Um, that, yeah, I, I can practice that kind of joy by what are things I can do to brighten the lives of other people. And even if I'm on a really down the dumps kind of a day, that may have a way of bringing joy to me, even if I'm that not there yet myself. Well, I look forward okay. to continue this exploration of how we turn virtues and verbs and nouns into practices, because I think that that will come in handy next week. Probably so. Since there's one more week of Advent, we invite you to join us here for the rest of our series here on Crazy Faith Talk. See y'all. Bye.